Welcome to the Life Giver Podcast. This is your host, Corey Weathers. I'm a clinician, military spouse, and advocate, and my co-host for this season is Sarah Foster, a first responder spouse, mom, and homesteader. Join us for season seven, where we invite you into honest conversation about life, family, and home. So grab that cup of coffee or head out for a walk. It's time to reconnect with what matters most. Through all the storms I'm by your side Through days of warmth I'm by your side Like the stars and the moon in the nighttime sky I'm by your side The man you exist, you can still have love for him But you do not have to be married to him to support him to have love for him, to want for him to be better. You can separate those two entities and make a life for you and for your children that is healthy, that lacks this chaos that they have been living in for the last two to three years. And where you can control what's going on in their home life. And then the only, the only piece you have to worry about is what's happening when they're with dad Mm -hmm. and Guess what? When they're with dad, you can work it into your divorce <laughs> agreement that they don't get to be with dad without another adult there until dad can get sober and stay that way. Mm. So you know that they're safe in that space as well. And it was that moment that ju- it, it changed my whole outlook. And I still felt bad about it because I wanted him to get better. I wanted to salvage our marriage. But I think I knew that it was, there was just no doing it. It wasn't going to happen. Yeah. Well, I know you going through trying to heal after um, he committed suicide was definitely a huge journey. I would love, I would love for us to focus though on what it's been like for you to, you to rebuild yourself since then. Um, there was, a, like we said earlier, there's a lot of things we had to unlearn right? A lot of things to unlearn in the process of finding yourself again. Like I said, I I really think that started with Justin Timberlake and the Disney trip. (laughs) It was starting to like happen as you were forced to make those choices. But I think there was probably a lot of things you had to unlearn and look back and realize that you didn't know that you were um, making a lot of exceptions maybe for yourself. So do you want to walk through some of the things that you've had to unlearn in the process of rebuilding yourself? Well, where do I begin? <laughs> um, there was a lot. I, um, I mean, I think women in general, moms even more so, are prone to making themselves into the sacrificial lamb mm-hmm. every now and again, the martyrs. And the I will give all of myself to everyone else around me and not not give to myself. Um, and I had certainly been guilty of that since we had children. Um, it's, uh, oh my gosh, really, where do I begin? Um, but, but now you were in a place where you were a single mom and you had to go to work and you had to provide, right? Yes. You right. couldn't be there for every and, little thing. Right. And that was, that had been, you know, something that I had kind of been working through even while he was still alive after I had gotten my job, but there were just things that I couldn't be at or, you know, I couldn't be the room mom anymore and that had to be okay. 
Um, and it was at the end of the day, my kids, thank goodness, are super resilient and they just moved right along and said, okay, well, she'll be here for the things she can be. And if it's truly that important. She'll make it work. And that's that. Um, but I mean, there were little things like I, I, I didn't realize that I had no self-confidence left. I didn't realize that um, I had not been taking care of myself physically, mentally, emotionally, um, in my faith, in anything, really. I had been going through the motions, but I hadn't actually been sticking with anything because things were so chaotic. And um, those are exceptions that I made to get through my life, but that's not living. And isn't that sort of the point is to live your life, not to just exist in it. Um, there were things that he had said to me in anger and in the middle of fights and only when he was drinking, which is the weird thing. If we argued when he was sober, it was what you expect a disagreement between spouses to be what it should be. It was never dirty. It was never mean. It was never, um, in an effort to try to hurt one another, it was, this is the topic we're mad about and we're going to argue about the topic and we're going to stick to the topic. Mm -hmm. But when he was drinking, it was angry mm. and it was mean. And it was, I'm going to take things that I know bother you and I'm going to say them to you. I'm going to throw them in your face and I'm going to make you feel horrible about yourself mm -hmm. because he was projecting his own self-loathing um, onto me. Things like um, that, you know, when I started my job, I work at a nonprofit. And so, oh, I don't know why you're working. You're not making any money. So it's stupid. Mm. Or um, yeah, I have a master's degree. So he was like, well, I don't know why you bothered to get your master's degree whenever you're not going to make any money for it. Mm. And at the time in my head, I'm going, well, screw you. <laughs> okay. Like, whatever, at least I'm doing something. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to help our family financially. And, you know, who is it that has the health insurance? So we're not paying $700 a month from the open market or, you know, what have you. But I think I've given so much of myself away over the years and not taking care of myself that those things burrowed down into my brain mm. And whittled even more away at what little confidence I still had left in myself without me realizing that it was happening. Because in the moment, I could clap back at him and say, uh, no. But it was there. Um, or that, you know, if I left him, nobody was going to want me because I was overweight or because I had two kids because, you know, name your reason. No one was going to want me that I was un unlovable. Um, except for by him, things like that. And um, there, you know, boundaries are such a hard thing whenever you're living with an addict and sometimes just in general in life. But I think especially when you're living with an addict, because there is that fine line that you have to walk between sometimes being a hard ass and being like, hi, this is not working. Get mm -hmm. it together. Mm -hmm. but then knowing their own fragile state and wanting to be supportive, but then you can't be too supportive because if you're being too supportive, then you're just enabling them. Mm -hmm. And 
um, it's a very, it's a difficult line to walk. And I'm not sure that anybody does it right. I mean, I'm not sure there is a correct way to do it. You just do your best in the moment and hope. It's almost like you live in this place of don't be too confident and also don't be too supportive. (laughs) So you end up just kind of like, and it's definitely not a place of apathy, right? It's just in a place of paralysis. It sounds like of Mm -hmm. like, and paralysis can mean I'm setting a boundary and trying to do the right thing, but still constantly afraid that I may have gone too far or not far enough. Or like, so it's this paralysis of constantly questioning yourself, constantly, doubting yourself. Right. And so I can only imagine when you are on the other side, trying to have confidence, make choices, make decisions on some level, it's like, I can freely make those decisions because I now have the space to not have the fear of what he could do in response to those choices. But I imagine there's also these subtle decisions too, of like, trusting yourself and having the confidence, confidence to make them. Lack of trust in myself, I think was the biggest thing, honestly. Um, and I, you know, day to day decisions were not a difficult thing for me because I had, I had been the one functioning in the day to day of our life for so long that what to have for dinner or, Oh, one of the kids wants to start dance. Okay, great. Let's put you in dance. Those kind of things was not, they were not difficult for me. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, as a military spouse, you had to make those decisions a lot. Yes, right. And for me, those were, they were second nature. But um, things like deciding to stay at my job were really hard. And I'm not, I, it never crossed my mind to leave necessarily, but there was a thought in my head. There's a time of year where I am gone basically for about five weeks straight. I see my children in the morning and that's it. Thankfully I have amazing parents. They move into my house. They take care of my kids. So I don't have to worry about them. But there was this moment after he died where I was like, Oh gosh, I'm going to have to find a new job now because I had to be there for them constantly. And it took kind of thinking through it and I'm a list person. So I made a pros and a cons list, reasons why I should stay, reasons why I shouldn't stay. And the only thing on the reasons that I shouldn't stay list was because I felt this need to be there for them all day, every day. And how ridiculous is that? Mm -hmm. But I still second guessed myself because it was a big decision. Mm -hmm. And I found myself doing that a lot with, um, I purchased a new car. We've purchased a new home, um, dating. I mean, all of the, every time I go in, well, not now, but while I was in this process of finding myself again, every time I went into a decision like that, that was going to affect their life or where I hadn't had to make a decision like that in a long time, Mm -hmm. Um, or anything that I deemed bigger than just normal day-to-day things, it was incredibly complex mm-hmm. for me. And it shouldn't have been. Mm. I doubted everything. And I found myself making a lot of lists and pausing a lot to think through things that I shouldn't have had to think through as much as I did. Um, it's been <laughs> remarkable watching you rebuild yourself. I, I will say... 
um, from the beginning, some of the things that you did that were so healthy is that, um, and can I just say, I've, I've done strength finder with you and I know that, um, and I've mentioned this on a previous episode, not you specifically, but I've mentioned when it comes to grief, that it's really interesting to see different people with their strengths, how they go through the grieving process differently. And I knew by uh, my mom going through losing her spouse, um, she has strategy in her top five and or strategic strengths in her top five. And I noticed by walking with her through that and then walking with other people through grief with their various strengths that people with the gift of strategy tend to move a little faster through the grieving <laughs> process than other people might. And, and it was a wonderful discovery because I think people with strategy, when they are moving faster, there's a little bit of guilt attached to that because other people may not want them to move that quickly. And so it's like, am I doing something Mm -hmm. wrong by like, I remember my mom being ready to let go of the toothbrush and she moved (laughs) to the closet a little faster than, and when she started to like, she needed to let go of his clothes, she needed to let go of the toothbrush because if she didn't, she couldn't take a step forward. It was actually holding her back while other people might hold on to a little bit longer because they needed to process something and it helped them actually through the process. And so I know for you, you have strategic strengths in your top five. And so I just want to say, I saw you very quickly on one of the first calls soon after it happened. I remember you asking me, how do I get help with the girls? What, how do I put the girls in proper counseling? What does that look like? And so you very quickly got the girls into counseling. You did a great job with that. You were very quickly asking the questions like, how and when do I talk with the girls about what happened? What does that process look like? So there were some very quick things that you jumped on that I was so proud of you for taking those very big, significant steps that would help at least the girls start their healing process. What support do they need to get through things? You jumped on on those very quickly. Um, I want to say early on, you started journaling, you started writing out your thoughts and your feelings just to kind of help sort through what those things were like. So you did a great job in the beginning, making, making some, um, quick action steps to get the right support in place. Um, but I would love for you to share, like, what are some of the things that you did, um, to start re like, what are some of the things that you started to rebuild yourself on? You mentioned you bought a new house. Um, I do want you to talk about that here in a second, because that was a later step, but mm-hmm. you know, we have to talk about the fact that he killed himself at the house that you were in yes. and to make it even more complex. It was the house you grew up in. Like you had come back and you guys had moved into the house that you had a lot of memories associated with. So the idea of moving out of that house and how do, should we move out of that house? That's a complicated decision. This is not just leaving a house that you have, you know, a year or two attachment to. This is a house that you have a lot of memories with. So can you share, like when you realized it was time for you to start rebuilding yourself Um, It's one thing, like you said, to make the right decisions for the girls and what do the girls need. But when it came to, I need to start taking care of myself now, um, what were some of those things that you started doing to rebuild yourself? Um, And maybe if somebody's listening right now, that's like, I'm right there with you. Like I have neglected myself. I've abandoned myself for everyone else. I don't even know who I am anymore. Or... um, 
how, what are some things that by you sharing the steps that you took some areas for them to take a look at? Um, I, I, one of the first ones was definitely writing. And like you said, journaling. Um, and it wasn't, I wasn't super consistent necessarily. It wasn't a, a set time every day or anything like that, but I've always kind of found that for me, when I'm having a big feeling and I can't verbally express it for whatever reason, I can't get the right words to come out of my mouth. It helps me to sit down and write it out. And sometimes it sounds like complete gibberish and it's all over the place and it's completely disjointed, but it gets it out of this chaos that is my brain and puts it on paper. And then I will typically like read through it a couple of times. And um, so that helped a lot. I, I started in counseling and quickly found that the, my, the first counselor I had was not the right person um, to help me do that process. She was very quick to help to vilify Gary for his behaviors and, um, and making him, making it seem like, you know, it was all his fault and things like that. And that is not at all how I've ever felt about it. I understood that he was sick, that he was just as much a victim of all of this as me and the kids were. It was just, he was a different kind of victim. And yes, in the wake of his chaos, there was a lot of pain, but I can't imagine the amount of pain he had to be in to think that taking his life was better than staying here with his wife and with his children. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like that, I think is the number one thing. For me, I, I, could not allow anyone in my life that was going to say that he was this horrible person for an illness that he couldn't control. Mm -hmm. Um, But I ended up finding another amazing counselor who um, has really walked me through um, a lot of things and that knew me well enough to know when to push and when to step back and when to say, uh, no, 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 you're full of it. We're going to loop back around to that one again and try again. Um, and so that was another big thing for me. Um, it was kind of a slow process really. And trying to just, I had all this free time all of a sudden. And so what do I do to fill it? Mm. Um, I started watching baseball again. And I love baseball. It's my favorite sport. I love it. And I started watching baseball again. Um, I started working out again. Mm -hmm. And I love working out. I always have. But whenever things are chaotic and it's just, you know, you never know what any day is going to bring. It's hard to stick to anything. Um, So I started doing that and making small little changes to my diet to, I, you know, I wasn't trying to diet per se, but just smarter choices because I was uncomfortable in my skin. I had gained a lot of weight in this process because it was a lot of emotional eating, um, a lot of just shoving whatever I can in my face in between the kids activities or, you know, whatever it was not thoughtful, um, taking care of myself. I got my hair done (laughs) and started taking the girls to get pedicures and, you know, little things like that, that just made me feel better. And, um, I made a decision pretty early on that 
at least once a month, I was going to do some sort of self-care something for myself, whether that was a massage or getting my hair done or something as easy as just like, oh, look, the girls aren't here. I am going to go for a nice long walk or I'm going to sit my butt right here on the couch and binge watch a show that I cannot watch with them at home. Like it didn't matter what it was, but once a month I was going to take that time for myself. Um, I went on a, a, a grand tour of trips that summer, which partially helped me run away from some of the things I wasn't quite ready to deal with, but also created a lot of bonding space for me and the girls. Um, and for me and my friends, my friends that I had pushed away in that process that were now um, knew what I was going through. And so we were reforming the bonds of our friendship um, that I had isolated myself from. And it was really that first year was such a, it was enlightening. And I, I made small steps, I think, to start putting myself back together. Um, but I was also still trying to deal with the grief in that first year. And kind of like you said, people with strategic, whatever, like run through it. And I definitely did. I was like, I want to get this over with. I, I like, I don't, I don't want to deal with this forever. I just don't. I, let me push through and do the hard work and talk about the hard things. Cause I got better things to worry about than being sad forever. Um, I think really though, the, the first year was just, small things like what can I do that I haven't been able to do in a long time? Well, like I said, it was, um, and has been remarkable to watch you, um, make each of those steps. Um, I, I remember hearing about you buying a house that you loved, that was close enough to family that you still had the support that you needed. Um, but was, I, I remember you talking about like, it's a house that I chose. It's a house that I love. And I, and I did that for myself and I can afford it, you know, and people can't watch, you know, us talking right now, but you're sitting in your bedroom. I remember you talking about like, I chose new bedroom furniture for myself <laughs> that I love, you know, and, and that that was a step, right. That was a step of like starting a new life, you know? Um, and it was such a, it was, they were healthy steps that you took not running away from things, but just because they were the next right thing to do. Right. Like I can only imagine mm -hmm. what it was like for you to try to rebuild yourself in the home where he did lose his life, where he took his life. Um, and so it was a, a freeing step that allowed you to walk into this, this home that you're in now every day with the joy and the confidence and, and to be proud of yourself to go, I'm doing this. I'm doing it. Like I, I always could, but now I was put in a situation where I have to, but I'm doing it. And, right. um, and it's everything from little things, like you said, like, taking care of yourself and just tweaking your diet. And we've been talking a lot this season about sometimes reconnecting with yourself and making healthy choices, whether it's in your marriage or for your own sake, or even for community, it's, it comes back to what you value that it's choosing to go. I am valuable 
and I'm worth this time. Like, I think you yes. shared with me one time that you, I don't know if it's, you have time, if it's the once a month or if it's now once a week, but you have time set aside, even when the girls are in the house, I think it's like, this is me time. And the girls I do. know that. And it's because yeah. you value yourself to say, I need it. I'm I'm worth that. So can you just, I know we're over time here. I'm just going to make this a part one, part two, like I did with I, Alyssa, because it's such a powerful story. And I'm so thankful that you would share it with us. But would you mind just kind of sharing, like, what's that idea of valuing yourself and saying, I'm worth that? To what, try, if you can put words to that, the shift in your mentality of going from maybe it would before it was everybody else is valuable and I'll sacrifice myself for everybody else to now being in a place who, how would you explain that to someone right now that says, I would, I feel selfish by doing that for myself. What would you say to them and what you know today? Um, oh, that one's hard to put into words for me. Um, and I think it was because I had not actually taken any time to care for myself. I, nothing, just nothing. I showered most days. <laughs> okay. Like let's, some days I didn't even get that right. Whenever it was in the worst of the worst. Um, but I think when I started rediscovering my love for exercising, and I know that that is not the right fit for everyone. It is for me. Um, I realized that I need to present the best of myself for myself. Yes. To feel good. But also I have two little girls that I am setting the precedent for what they are going to think about themselves in the future. And I owe it to them to be my best self, regardless of what that looks like. Am I in perfect shape? Absolutely not. Not even close. But you know what? I owe it to them to be strong so that I can run through the house with them so that I can pick them up or so that, you know, when they need help with something, I can help them with it um, and to be healthy so that I can be here for them. Um, I've got my older one is turning 11 on Monday. And, you know, she's starting to kind of get into makeup and clothes and all the things that teen girls like. And um, it's fun because she comes to me for makeup advice. And I'm like, who knew? I, the old me would have not had anything to tell her because I didn't even take the time to put on makeup ever because I didn't value myself enough to even do that mm -hmm. um and now I love it like it's got a whole giant bag of makeup that most of it I don't use all the time but it is what it is when I want to it's there um and I think I just I realized that I needed to find the things that I loved and embrace them and do them because my kids deserve it but I deserve it too like I deserve to be incandescently happy people should look at me and say god she's happy and it was hard and it was long and there were a lot of tears you've heard a lot of these tears and you've seen the 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 difficulty in embracing that and i think as women especially we are um told from a very young age that 
to be valuable is to be exterior of yourself to help your children, help your spouse, help your job, help everyone but your own self. And that it's not, it is not in the least selfish to do the things that make you happy as long as those things are healthy. Um, you know, drugs are not good. <laughs> Drinking to excess is not good, whatever. But, you know, going on a trip with your girlfriend is not selfish. It is refilling your cup so that you have the energy and the love and everything else to give to the people around you. And it, it took a lot of forcing myself to do those things. Like some, I had to schedule it sometimes, like literally block it out on my calendar to say, this is the time you're going to make yourself do something um, to get there. But now it, it's kind of become a second nature thing or whether it's going out into my gym in my garage when I get home from work, which I do a lot of times because I hate getting up in the morning, do it. Um, or even something like, okay, the girls have gone to bed and I really feel like sitting in my bathtub and reading and having a glass of wine. Mm -hmm. And I will because I can, <laughs> because it's not selfish to take that time. Well, Kit, do you have time for one last question? I know of I've course. taken you. Okay. Anything for you. Um, well, this is a vulnerable one. So okay. um, how do you feel like, do you mind, are you willing to share how your relationship with God has changed over the years? Um, sure. Because this was, you mentioned earlier that you, there was so many areas that you weren't taking care of. You were just kind of going through the motions and spirituality was one of them that you brought up. And so you don't have to share anything that you're not comfortable with, but I, I have, I think that there's been a process that you've gone through with that too. Um, and it's an ongoing process for all of us, but how has that shifted or helped or, um, or maybe even challenged. There's a lot of sometimes going through grief challenges our faith too. So, um, how has that evolved over time? Um, I was always, I, from a very young age, I was somebody that had a pretty strong faith. Um, in fact, it was my family had tried to find a church home multiple times and really couldn't. And it was me that drove, um, the the desire in our family to go back to church and try again and we finally did find a wonderful church home um and even once we got into the military we, it was difficult for us sometimes to find the right fit for us but i always somehow managed to just kind of you know keep our faith and a lot of prayer a lot of self-study a lot of um just trying to keep it going in our own home, even without that, um, that home base to go to every Sunday. Um, and we would occasionally find one that we really enjoyed, but we were moving every two years, like at a minimum. So it was difficult, um, to kind of keep that going. But when he got sick and we, especially after we moved back home, um, we couldn't, they just couldn't seem to find an agreement on what everybody wanted in a church home. And we kind of had these three that someone in the family liked more than the others. And so we were 
flitting around between the three of them. And then eventually when he did get really sick, it became this impossible thing to even get everybody to go regularly. And I was starting to have a little bit of a crisis of faith. Like I, I felt very strongly whenever we made the decision to leave the army, that God was guiding that decision that I had never felt so at peace in a major life choice in my life. Um, I think the last time I felt that at peace was when I married him and, um, it was, it was a complex thing for me to have this thought in my head. Like I trusted you, I trusted your plan, but then we get here and everything seems to be falling apart. Mm. Um, and then when he did commit suicide, I, I was angry. I was very, very angry. I never lost faith necessarily. Um, but there was, there was a lot of anger there and not even about myself, but about my kids. Like, how could you possibly put my kids through this? Mm-hmm. Like how, what loving God that wants the best for us would hurt my children that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a, probably, a, a, I think the first year I, I wanted nothing to do with it. I, I, I could not be bothered to pray very often, definitely didn't pick up my Bible, had no interest in going to church. And when I did, it was only because I felt like um, I needed to take the girls for whatever reason, or because one of them had asked about it. It was not because I wanted to be there. Um, and I think that that's okay. I think God can handle our anger, right? He, mm-hmm. he can handle us being angry at him. And there were definitely times during that, that first year, especially where, um, I still felt his presence, which is weird, but it did like, it was this little tap on the shoulder. Like I'm still here, by the way, Mm. I still love you. Or, you know, when, when something would go, go right that I didn't expect to go right. I would kind of have a moment of like, okay, I see you. I got it. Um, it's been a process since then to sort of get back to it. I, um, we have found a church near our new home that we really, really, really enjoy. Um, COVID did not help that situation any either because no one was doing in-person services and, um, it was, it was difficult, you know, as it ever is to find a new church home, but especially when you're having to do everything online. So you don't meet anybody, you don't actually see the facility or, mm-hmm. you know, know if it's the right fit because you're not physically present there. Um, but I'd say, you know, we're, we're on track. We're finally, I am finally back to the desire to have the relationship with God that I used to have. Um, and to continue to grow that for the rest of my life. Um, I've seen the things that have come um, into and in some cases out of my life over the last three and a half years that I've had to trust him that he knew what was right for me, um, whether that was, you know, a relationship or friends, um, letting go of our house, that the, the one that I grew up in the plan was never to stay there, but it was extremely difficult to 
to move out of it. Um, especially now that something so sacred happened there. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't have wanted to say, I don't think as a mausoleum or something of that nature, a museum or anything, but it did make it harder to walk away. It wasn't just the good memories. It was the bad ones too. Um, but on the other side of the, the growth, which was so hard and the changing my mindset and the putting myself back together, I kind of see that none of it would have happened without God. Um, and then even through my anger and my running away, he was always there. He's a good God that is so patient. And as Matt always says, if he can't handle your anger, he's, he's not really a God worth, you know, um, Jennifer, thank you for the extra time that you gave. Um, you know, I've said it a million times and I'll say it a million times more of how proud I am to know you and how proud I am to have watched you do something so brave, um, to rebuild yourself the way that you have. You're not perfect. Um, and that, and I say that with not to remind you of that, but I say that (laughs) to you to continue to give you the permission to not be, you know, and that there isn't an expectation for you to be perfect in any of it. And I know that there can be a lot of pressure as a single mom to try to have it all together, to try to, you know, rebuild yourself. So, so that you can be as stable as possible. Um, but just like the reminder that there's no expectation for you to be perfect at it. Um, but man, are you just doing such an amazing job schooling, all of us who know you on what it means to value yourself in a healthy way to, to fight for your family in a healthy way and to do it with a balanced approach, um, to watch you soar in your job and to be in a place that you not only feel competent and successful and the ability to provide, but it's a job that has offered you the support and the friendship and the flexibility to grow through the season. That is such a gift. Um, to have such amazing family members. That's something we don't take for granted as a military family to have your family close by to support you through what you've been through. Um, you know, I'm just, again, proud of you for sharing your story. And I know that's why I wanted to give it extra time. I know others who are listening find themselves at various points in your story and feel encouraged by it. And I hope those of you that are listening, wherever you're at, that you hear, um, like you said in the very beginning, that um, things can get better. Things can get better. And um, oftentimes, one of the takeaways I'm getting from this is oftentimes things getting better isn't always just sitting back and hoping they'll get better. Um, A lot of times it takes um, courage on our part. It takes initiative on our part. It takes us doing the the things that we, that are are within our control um, for them to get better. Oftentimes it's the only thing we have control. And I think that's a big part of your story is, is coming to a place of realizing there's so much I don't have control over, but I do have control over me. Right. Do you agree? Absolutely. Yes. 
Thank you for your time. Thank you for joining me. I love you so much. Thank you. I love you. Thank you for listening to the Life Giver Podcast. We keep things pretty simple around here and don't include sponsors so that you can get our focused attention. So please subscribe, leave us a quick review, or share it with other service families you know. If you would like more information or want to connect, you can find out more by going to coreyweathers.com or life-giver.org for tons of content and resources and encouraging you to create more margin in your life as well.